Hi there. Before we start today's episode, we wanted to provide a few content disclaimers. In this episode, we talk a lot about teeth, the loss of teeth, and some very strange historic practices regarding their disposal. So if teeth give you the heebie-jeebies, you may want to skip this episode. We would also recommend that you not listen to this episode with your little ones. We don't want to spoil any magic for the believers in your life. Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A tour of the parenting perils of yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hi, Diane. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm super good today. I am I'm doing well. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you. I hope I hope you are also doing good. I'm exhausted, but we'll get to that. <laughs> I think what is keeping me going is that I just wake up every morning and be like, today is a new day and it might be different today. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There's this there's this weird notion of hope when you're a mother that it won't always be manic insanity. <laughs> I think I have to hold on to that or I will yeah. actually lose my mind. Yeah, I think it's like this funny biological imperative that we feel that way. <laughs> so that we take care of our children and ourselves. <laughs> so I guess let's start off with some mom moments. Would you like to go first or shall I? Oh, why don't you go first? Okay. All right. So so I have one that that was really sort of a too soon moment for me where I, I wasn't quite prepared, but I think I handled it really well. So the other night, Emma was in bed. And I went in to say goodnight to her. Like, she had already gone to bed 30 minutes earlier. But I was like, oh, I didn't go in and say goodnight. I'll go in and she'll be asleep and I'll just kiss her and leave. But she was still awake. And I go in and I kneel next to her bed. And I was like, well, I'm going to go now. I'm, have a good night. I'll see you in the morning. And she said, Mommy, I have a question. How do you make a baby? And she sort of oh, like no. giggles to herself a little bit like she knows what she's asking me is kind of illicit, <laughs> which I'm not sure where she got that idea from. But she's been like paging through this. Um, it's not the stork book or, or something like that. Or, or it's so amazing. It's a book for kids about how babies are made. So she's paged through that. So she like she knows. But she, she was like, how do you make a baby? And I was like, well, why do you ask? Because I needed to buy myself some time. And she said, well, what I really want to do is I, I want to know how how do my stuffies make a pretend baby? And I was like, oh, okay. Listen, I got you here. Oh, <laughs> so, boy. Like, she wants to take her stuffed animals <laughs> yes. and make them make a baby. So I was like, all right, well, so let's see. We've got, and and I grab from her bed that she's cuddling with, her mini Mouse doll. Oh. And Baby, who is a baby doll who she calls baby. And I was like, okay, so let's say Minnie and baby want to make their own little baby. <laughs> Minnie takes a little special piece of her and baby takes a little special piece of baby because I don't know baby's gender. So I just call baby, baby. <laughs> Instead of a he or she. <laughs> and I'm like, they, they, 
They bring those two special pieces together and then, and I reach under the bed to like, with my arm without looking, try to find like some other stuffy. And I pull up a tiny little Donald Duck and I say, they make a new baby. (laughs) (laughs) And Emma was like, that's amazing. I love their new baby. Donald's such a good baby. And I was like, excellent. Go to sleep. Good night. (laughs) Oh my God. I want to bow down to you a little bit because that was a really, really great explanation on the fly. I was like, all right, pull something out, Jen. And I like was toying with using the phrase special hug or like something. But then I was just like, no, don't overcomplicate it because I don't no. want her to walk around in school asking people to give her special hugs. So I was just like, oh let's just, you know, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it was it was a real mom moment for sure. Oh my god. That so, is hysterical. So what what happened to you this past week? Well, uh my mom moment was um kind of a nice little revelation where I could just take a step back and and say, "Okay, I'm going to be okay." <laughs> I am still what I consider to be a very new first-time mom, you know, because my baby's only five months old, and I'm still figuring things out. And the school year has just started, so being a music teacher, everything just like went to crazy town and it's been insane. And I've sort of been, I guess I realized I've been putting this pressure on myself that now that I'm a mom, I need to convince people, my students, my colleagues specifically, you know, people that I work with, my boss at different church gigs and things. I need to prove to people that I'm still as invested in my work and that my baby is not going to interfere with how I do my job and how invested I am, which is insane. I know. Yes, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that we're made to feel that way, Diane. <laughs> yes, and and I don't know if if I'm being made to feel that way or if I'm making myself feel that way. But I have some really wonderful students, and I have some really wonderful adult students um, who you know you can kind of chat with before and after lessons. And I had a student this past week just kind of out of the blue for no reason, just like say to me after, you know, I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. Hmm. Like just, you know, cause he, they were asking me how the baby was. And, you know, I was saying like, oh, you know, she hasn't been sleeping. I think she's starting to teeth and I'm kind of tired. And, and they just were like, I want you to know that you're doing a, a really good job and, uh, and, you know, take a deep breath. You're doing okay. Uh-huh. And I just really needed somebody to tell me that. It was really, really nice to hear. And I think if like my husband had said that to me or if I had said that to myself, it wouldn't have made a difference. But somebody in my work sphere Mm -hmm. said that and it just it made me feel a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing like getting that feedback. It's life giving to hear somebody else thinks like from the outside, I don't look like the mess that I feel on the inside. Yes, because I feel like I'm getting nothing done and I'm scrambling to finish things before they need to happen. And and it was just nice that maybe from the outside, it kind of looks like I still have it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm so glad. Yeah, thanks. It felt nice. <laughs> So what do you have to share with me and our listeners today? I have a fun one today. We are going to talk about the history of the tooth fairy. Ooh, the Mm -hmm. tooth fairy, that crazy old lady who steals baby teeth. Yes. I mean, (laughs) when you really break it down like that, a little creepy. (laughs) But sure. (laughs) I mean... 
the sweetest way to sugarcoat the terror of losing teeth out of your head. I don't know. That's like a bad nightmare for me. So yes, well, that's <laughs> actually where we are going to start. Is, oh, excellent. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, first I just wanted to talk about where, not necessarily where did this come from, but why, you know, why mm -hmm. do we have this weird old woman fairy who comes into your room at night and takes your teeth and gives you money? <laughs> I think it comes from a place of, like you said, needing comfort uh, after what may be an extremely traumatic experience for a child. Literally, a piece of you is falling out of your mouth. Yes. <laughs> and it's real. it can be really scary. And I don't know, Jen, do you remember, like, do you remember losing your baby teeth? I do. I do. Do you remember it being a, a, a scary thing? Like, what do you remember about it? So I remember a couple different things. I remember... It was the first opportunity I had as a person to control pain in a, in a way that felt like safe to me. That was when I was a little bit older, when I was probably like seven or eight and I was losing baby teeth. But I remember very much thinking to myself like, oh, I can, I can choose to move my, like wiggle my tooth around or not and feel like this feels a certain way. And that being sort of like this profound realization that, you know, I could have some control over pain that I felt. Whereas any time that I have experienced in my life pain that I couldn't control, it was very frightening. So I don't know. That may be a weird, a weird thing. But yeah, so, so I remember that. And I also remember as I got older and my parents were very, well, I guess we don't know who's listening. So the tooth fairy was very generous to me. Um, <laughs> not like, we're not talking about like 20s or anything, but it was like, like $5 or whatever, you know? So it was, and at that time that could buy me like a toy, a, you know, could buy a thing that I wanted. And so, so as teeth started to get loose, I definitely was a child who tried to extract them, you know, like I definitely tried the floss over the tooth, tied around the doorknob thing, you know, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was really, because I was really like, I was fascinated by the idea that some magical creature would come into my room and leave me money for this thing that was just stuck in my head. And if I could just get it out, I could get the money. So <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I was not like that. I, I was a weird kid, but I used to, um, I used to sometimes see how long the tooth could like hang on by a thread Oh yeah, <laughs> before it would come out of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, and I would be really careful, like not to knock it loose. <laughs> yeah. Um, just cause I was curious how long it could stay there. And it was such a cool, there's no other feeling like that. It was such a cool feeling when your tooth was just like, yeah. Hanging onto your gum. Yeah. I definitely did that with a few of my teeth with, I think I, like every tooth loss was a different experience. Sometimes it was how quickly can I get it out? And sometimes it was how long can I keep it in there? And it yeah. was like fascinating. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's so weird. It's such yeah. a weird thing. Yeah. yeah. I think I got a dollar mm. for every tooth that that's, I lost. That's pretty standard. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd have to check with my, with my dad, but I yeah. think, I think it was a dollar. Yeah. What I remember about the Tooth Fairy was the Tooth Fairy, I think, was the first mythological character that I realized wasn't real. Mm, yes. Which prompted me to ask my mother if Santa Claus was real. Yes. Which was an extremely traumatic experience for me. I was much like your conversation with Emma right before bed. <laughs> 
I was laying in bed. My mother came to kiss me goodnight. I will never forget this. And I looked at her and I knew the answer already. Nia. But I asked her if Santa Claus was real. And the look on her face before she said anything told me the answer. And I just remember like sobbing. I don't know why it was so sad to me. Oh my gosh. But it, yeah, it was really, really traumatic. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in um, before we get too off topic. Yeah. So I think there are three like central mythological characters in our American culture. There's mm -hmm. the Easter Bunny, yep. Santa Claus, and the Tooth Fairy. Yes. We will, you know, in different episodes, get into the origins of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, but they're pretty much well documented. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's kind of pagan traditions combined with Christian ideals and, and everybody's kind of stealing from each other culturally. And then that all gets kind of thrown in a bowl and mixed together and you get Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. <laughs> So the Tooth Fairy is a little bit harder to track. In fact, uh, as recently as the 1970s, there was a radio DJ um, who made an on-air reference to the Tooth Fairy. Mm -hmm. And staff at the American Dental Association were then inundated with calls for more information about her. Huh. And the American Dental Association said that they kind of were just baffled because they realized people were coming in, I guess, with these questions of like, hey, you know, where did the tooth fairy come from? You know, where did she originate? And who is she? And and what sort of what culture did she come from? And they realized that they had very little information on this. So this was the 1970s. Holy moly. Right? Yeah. So um, right around that time, a uh, professor at Northwestern University Dental School named Rosemary Wells found herself also quite confused by this. The ritual of of placing your baby teeth under your pillow, you know, hoping to find money when you wake up in the morning, that was already happening all over America. And kids were leaving notes for the tooth fairy. They were sharing these personal relationships with the tooth fairy. And then they were getting this uh, monetary reward for losing their teeth. But nobody really knew how this started or where it came from. So I think that the story of the tooth fairy is also really the story of Rosemary Wells and her quest to figure out who the Tooth Fairy is and where she came from. Okay. So, yeah. So she took it upon herself to make this like her life's project. Um, so she first came out with a series of magazine articles that laid out basically like an overview of the Tooth Fairy myth as she was researching it. And then she also came out with a survey, the first survey of its kind. And she conducted it among uh, 2,000 parents in the United States. A decade later, she was so engrossed in this subject of the Tooth Fairy that she dedicated an entire museum to it. Oh. Run out of her home in Deerfield, Illinois. Oh, my goodness. Tell me it's still there. You know, I don't know. Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to see if I can find that for you, and maybe at our at our next episode, I'll I'll fill everybody in. <laughs> I should have looked that up. <laughs> I feel like if it's there, I want to go. <laughs> you know, I don't know because. Well, you figure she she started this quest in the 1970s and she was already a professor. So I wonder how old she is now. I know. Is she still alive? Well, that's a really good question. Oh, Sorry, I, I apologize. I'm like throwing you under the bus. Clearly my research is lacking. <laughs> I will get these answers for everyone. I promise. Like a good podcaster should. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so she actually conducted a survey where she polled parents, I guess, on do they do the tooth fairy with their children? How much money do they give their children? Where did this sort of originate for them to try and gather in the general population what was going on with the tooth fairy? So I thought that was really in interesting. Hmm. 
by the time she started running her museum, she was pretty famous for being like the uh, ambassador to the to the tooth fairy, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And she even appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. Excellent. Uh Uh-huh. Which I mean, that really means you've made it if she's like. Let me do my best Oprah impression. We have Rosemary Wells. <laughs> that good? So good. That was so good. I'm super impressed. Thank you. I try. I love Oprah. Um, so she, her name, uh, Rosemary Wells, became synonymous with the Tooth Fairy, and she actually had to clarify in a, an article in the Chicago Tribune that she herself is not, in fact, the Tooth Fairy, but she is the Tooth Fairy consultant. Oh, I love it. I do too. I especially love it because that's what it said on her business cards. Oh my goodness. Good for her. This woman sounds like somebody I so badly want to meet. So now I really hope she's still alive. I know. Like send her a letter and be like, I love you. (laughs) She's amazing. Oh my gosh. A spokesperson for the Chicago Dental Society added, um, we have no position on the tooth fairy. I refer all inquiries to Miss Wells. Oh my goodness. I hope one day I love anything as much as this woman obviously loved the tooth fairy. I know. (laughs) Her life became consumed by it. Oh, my goodness. Pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) So what, you know, she's doing this research and what she discovered um, was very interesting. Uh, Despite the Tooth Fairy seeming, to us at least, like a timeless figure who's been around forever, she's actually pretty new compared to other characters like, you know, Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or or any of those. Um, Her first appearance in print was in an eight-page it says in my research, it said a playlet. I could not find what that means. I tried. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's like a pamphlet. I'm thinking it's like a pamphlet maybe uh, for kids, but it was in a playlet for children by Esther Watkins Arnold from 1927. So that's really not that long ago. Yeah. That's the first time that she was in print. And the oldest oral references, uh, they go back to probably the turn of the 20th century. So again, not that long. Yeah. Yeah. And so by the time Wells started like doing this research, uh, the tooth fairy, if she were to be a real person, um, would have only been like a senior citizen <laughs> if she That's were great. real. Yeah. So if she really hasn't been around as long as we think. Uh, but of course, the rituals surrounding, you know, losing a tooth and something happening in return, those go back quite a bit further. And that's probably where the tooth fairy grew from. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the rituals that go along with uh, losing your tooth and then what happens uh, in different cultures around the world. Cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, every human culture has some kind of tradition surrounding the loss of a child's baby teeth. In the 1960s, a researcher named B.R. Townend distilled these rituals down to nine basic forms. And Wells summarized these in her 1991 essay, The Making of an Icon. Number one. I love these, by the way. Number one. Uh, The tooth was thrown into the sun. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. I mean, a trebuchet? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thrown into the sun. Um, The tooth was thrown into a fire. Makes a little more sense. Yep. Uh, There's a lot of throwing of teeth in these. Excellent. Um, the tooth was thrown between your legs. Ooh. That I don't really get. <laughs> uh, the tooth was thrown onto or over the roof of the house, often with an invocation to some animal. Huh. 
number five, the tooth was placed in a mouse hole near the stove or hearth or offered to some other animal. <laughs> I love that they're like this time from the past was so lousy with mouse holes. There'd definitely be a mouse hole <laughs> near the hearth or the... <laughs> Like you had some to choose from. Like, yeah, no, not not the mouse hole in the living room. The oh one by the hearth. I'm so glad that mouse holes are a thing of the past. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have more. Uh, the tooth was placed in a tree or it says on a wall. So I don't know if that means you like hang it on the wall. Oh, no. You know what I bet it is? I bet it's like a stone wall. Oh, good call. Mm, like Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> or... This is my favorite one. The tooth was swallowed by the mother, the child, <gasps> or an animal. <laughs> Do you imagine swallowing your children's baby teeth? No, that is my nightmare. My nightmare that I actually have <laughs> is that my teeth get punched and they break apart in my mouth and then I swallow them. That is the worst. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm bringing about nightmares for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. sure there are other people listening who are like i hate teeth i hate teeth i hate thinking about teeth i can't listen to this episode we need a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode about this episode's about teeth yeah this is about teeth if you don't like to think about things falling out of your body this is not for you (laughs) we'll do it oh my goodness all of these interesting uh, things that were done with the teeth um, throughout history were not mutually exclusive either like sometimes you might um you might place the tooth on a wall and then feed it to an animal. <laughs> you know, you would do different things with them. Yeah. Um, so now we'll, we'll kind of dive into a little more specifically around the world um, where some of these things took place. Um, perhaps the most widely practiced ritual, one that had been documented in places from Russia to New Zealand to Mexico, involves offering the lost tooth as a sacrifice to a mouse or a rat. Hmm in the hopes that the child's adult teeth will grow in as strong and sturdy as a rodent's teeth. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering kind of why, but yeah, yeah. They have rodents are known for their yeah. strong teeth chewing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that Yuck. was a good noise. Oh, yeah. My foley art is really excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, you know, this kind of sacrifice or ritual offering uh, was accompanied by a specific prayer or a song. Uh, and usually it was to a rodent or mouse of some kind. But, you know, depending on where you are in the world, it could be any kind of animal. So uh, there are recorded rituals of the same thing involving cats, dogs, squirrels, beavers. Yes. Beavers make sense. I was going to say beavers. beavers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know. <laughs> Whatever nice. you could find. Yes. Anything <laughs> with strong teeth. Anything yeah. that eats a nut or wood. <laughs> yep. But it is the mouse that remains to this day the most famous animal mascot for like tooth offerings, I guess. Um, in many countries around the world, children to this day continue to leave teeth out in the hopes that a mouse will come take them away in exchange for money or some other gift. And that's where we start to get to the American ritual of leaving money. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, for French children, this is the La Petite Souris. So the uh, the La Petite Souris appears in French folk tales as early as the 17th century. Uh, so that was the mouse in, in that culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in several Spanish-speaking countries, it's, mm-hmm. I'm going to do my best here, uh, Ratoncito Perez. 
Mm. Uh, so just like the American counterpart, uh, Perez has his own museum in Madrid, which I thought was wonderful. So we might need to make a little tooth fairy museum crawl. I know, the world. right? It's like <laughs> just all the places that celebrate baby teeth. Yeah. Let's go. So if you, if you kind of combine some of these rituals together, uh, and go through time, you start to get to the American tooth fairy, um, uh, so the American Tooth Fairy is sort of like a unique collection of all of these different, uh, they're not fairies in other cultures, I guess the rodents of other cultures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it takes them all, puts them together. Um, it's the mouse that sneaks into a child's bedroom and performs the, you know, money for tooth swap. Uh, and then a general good fairy, which is a traditionally European figure, mm-hmm. that slowly made its way over to America. So it sort of takes those two things and combines them. And that's how we get the tooth fairy in America. Mm. And it is no coincidence that at the same time, the tooth fairy was starting to gain popularity in the United States, right? Remember we said the first, the first print uh, the showing of the tooth fairy was in 1927. Mm-hmm. Um, well, remember that's right about the time when Walt Disney started to make his first movies was in the 1920s. I was going to say mm-hmm. some, something that Disney's going to come in here. Oh, and you know, I mean, Jen, you know, my love for Disney. <laughs> I so do. when I saw this, I was just over the moon. Yes. So we start to see these good fairy figures like in Cinderella, right? Mm -hmm. Fairy godmothers. Uh, And so this sort of fairy idea starts to take popularity. So I think that's why in America, instead of us, you know, having a mouse come into the room and give the kids money, we cross pollinate sort of with this fairy idea. And that's Mm -hmm. how we get the tooth fairy. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. But I, I guess the last question we have to answer is, like we said, why did the tooth fairy show up in the first place? And mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to is providing comfort for the child for something that could otherwise be really scary. And also, I think it's a way for the parents to have a ritual to commemorate this exciting time in their child's life. Their child is growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just for the kid. I think it's also it's also for the parents. Yeah, I think there may even be a, a second part to this episode or a future episode where we talk about crazy things that parents do to remember important milestones from their children's lives. Like I have Emma's first lock of hair when I gave her her first haircut, you know, people keep baby teeth. So I'm going to wrap up because I don't want to take too long. But um, according to the survey that Wells did um, back when she started her research in the 70s and 80s, 97% of parents held positive or neutral feelings toward the tooth fairy. And that is without any of the religious or calendar-based reinforcements that Santa or the Easter Bunny benefit from. So the tooth fairy is not connected to any type of religion. Yet Mm -hmm. 97% of parents held positive or basically neutral feelings toward her. Mm-hmm. And she's only getting more generous as time goes on. <laughs> it's true. Well, inflation, Diane. <laughs> I mean, really. So um, the amount of money, like you just said, uh, that the Tooth Fairy leaves, you know, tends to fluctuate due to inflation. From 2011, there's been an overall increase, I think, of 42 percent mm. uh, in what the Tooth Fairy has given. I think I think that's going back to when she did her survey. Wow. In the in the 70s and 80s. Um, the tooth fairy is now leaving an average of $3.70 per tooth. Nice. That's an average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like so, to see someone who's leaving like <laughs> Yeah. Leaving change. 
With a little note. Imagine leaving $4 for your child with a note that's like, oh, can you just leave me, you know, 30 30 cents cents change for tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) You owe me 30 cents. (laughs) And more teeth. (laughs) For anybody who's interested, um, the Tooth Fairy is present in popular culture all the time. Uh, She almost has taken on a superhero like uh, persona. Mm -hmm. Um, We have, uh, let's see. I think in Hollywood today, didn't The Rock play oh, yeah. the Tooth Fairy in a yes. movie, right? Yeah. I forget yeah. what that movie was called, but yes. I do too. Um, but but that's <laughs> one. Um, another recent take on the Tooth Fairy myth reimagined it for like the horror genre. Mm-hmm. And so that was called Darkness Falls. <gasps> um, that melded uh, the Tooth Fairy with some other kind of like scary folklore. Um, so if you want a good scare, you've got that. Perfect. Uh, and then for Kirstie Alley fans, um, there's something called Toothless. I don't oh, know if you remember that. Um, nope. <laughs> it's sort of it was sort of in the genre of like the Tim Allen's um, the Santa Claus movie. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I actually kind of remember this movie. I don't know if I'm making it up in my head. But this is more of like a family-friendly sort of movie uh, <laughs> that I think Kirstie Alley plays the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> Excellent. That seems like on brand. <laughs> yeah. So so that made me kind of happy, and I might have to go back and rewatch that because I love a, a kind of cheesy, bad uh, family movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so and that's kind of where we are today with the Tooth Fairy. She is synonymous with with children losing their teeth in uh, in America. In America, sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's it. Diane, it was very thorough and very excellent. Very entertaining. Thank you. <laughs> I thought that was fun, right? That was great. Good topic. So, yeah. So for anybody who's interested in in learning more, I suggest you look up Rosemary Wells. Mm-hmm. And um, I am going to find out if she's still alive. Rosemary, if you for some reason ever listen to this, I apologize. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also um, if her museum is still open and wow. operational. <laughs> So Dan, after we released our first few episodes, we got we got a lot of really fun stories from people, um, specifically about our car seat episode. So so welcome to our new segment. Your parents did what? <laughs> I love it. So we're really excited to hear from all of you people about the crazy things that your parents did. I shouldn't say crazy, but the different things. The different things. <laughs> that that people did, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it is. Um, so we're going to start with our listener, Kathy, who said, Hi, ladies. Just finished the first episode. Loved it. Made me think of 1989 for my daughter, definitely rear-facing, probably front-facing from one year on, and definitely just seatbelt in the back seat by four years old, definitely by five. And then she put one of those little, like, shocked emoji faces. (laughs) But as they say, when you know better, you do better. Can't wait to listen to the rest. So thanks, Kathy. Um, I was also born in 1989, uh, so that gave me a good indication probably of what things were like for me as well. So that was really interesting to read. Um, So the next one comes from our listener, Joanna, and she says, Diane, I'm listening now. I remember when I was in Peru, we never used a car seat. I remember my uncle holding me on his lap when he was driving and my mom putting me in the front passenger seat as she was driving with no car seat. Way past 1971, this was like early 80s. So that's really interesting because we didn't really get into internationally car seat laws at all. Yeah, no. I mean, most of our show is is very like American, European centric because that's what we know as you and yeah. me. But the rest of the world, 
has their own wacky histories too. Yeah, so especially if you have any international stories of growing up, we would really love to hear those because we have no clue what's going on there. It's true. (laughs) And then our last one is from our listener, Susan. She said, nice job. I really enjoyed this segment. California had car seat laws in 1984. We couldn't leave the hospital with our son without one. Backseat, front-facing, was the only option. My brother-in-law remembers being in a cardboard box in the backseat as a toddler in 1967. Oh, I mean, (laughs) cardboard box. You could do worse. (laughs) Resourceful. (laughs) That's right. You know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Well, I think we we said, like, what was it, like, early 1970s where there Mm -hmm. were even any regulations. So I guess, like, cardboard box it is. Yeah, it'll contain him. He's not going anywhere. (laughs) Thank you guys for your stories. If anyone else has any stories, you can email them to us at opdwpodcast at gmail.com or you can send them to us over social media. We would love to hear them. Yes, please, please, please. Thank you. This was a lovely episode. If people want to find out more about this topic or any of the other topics we've talked about on the show, uh, you can find more at opdwpodcast.com. And we're on various social media sites at opdwpodcast. And our music is done by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you. Thank you, Theo. Okay, Diane. Until next time. Don't eat your baby's teeth. We have a brief epilogue for this episode. We did some follow-up research after our initial recording, and we found updated information on some of our topics. The Tooth Fairy Museum opened in 1993 and was curated by Dr. Rosemary Wells until her death in 2000 at the age of 69. Wells was a truly fascinating woman who showcased hundreds of letters from children in her home-based museum. She was also the principal violinist for the Evanston Symphony Orchestra a really well-rounded and cool lady. We were really glad to get to learn a little bit more about Rosemary Wells in this episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.